regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. I'm glad that you are with us on the program today. Coming up in uh, just a couple of moments, we'll be talking with Dr. John Lott from the Crime Prevention Research Center. They've been uh, crunching the numbers of concealed carry holders across the country uh, and have found that uh, the number of new concealed carry holders is actually, it's not dipped, that's for sure, uh, but the rate of growth has uh, slowed down a little bit compared to uh, 2019, 19 0.48 million uh, concealed carry holders across the country. That is about 800,000 or so more than last year. Uh, despite the fact they note that uh, many states have shut down issuing permits uh, because of coronavirus concerns. We actually talked about that at Bearing Arms today. If you live in Allegheny County, Pennsylvania, for example, Pittsburgh area, and you want your concealed carry license, or maybe you need to renew your concealed carry license, so right now you call up the sheriff's office and say, hey, I need to, uh, you know, come in. I need to apply for a permit or I need to renew my permit. And they're, they're, taking, they're taking appointments for March of 2021 right now. Yep. That's the earliest that you can apply. Not, not when you'll receive your concealed carry license. That's when you can actually fill out your application to get your concealed carry license in Allegheny County. Uh, and that's not just one county. Out in Washington State, you've got the police departments that have basically been shut down since the spring uh, and have not been taking any concealed carry applications for, you know, five or six months. Uh, this is a, a, a growing problem right now because, again, we've got record high numbers of Americans who are exercising the right to keep arms. Right. We're seeing record high gun sales uh, going back to March of this year. National Shooting Sports Foundation estimates there were about one point six million firearms sold. Uh, just in the month of September alone, uh, that number, again, it's an imperfect science to try to figure out how many uh, firearms were sold uh, using the NICS background check system. Uh, the anti-gun group, the Trace, actually estimates it's about 1.9 million firearms that were sold uh, in the month of September. So the demand we know is sky high, but the supply of firearms is really low. The supply of ammunition is probably even lower, uh, and the ability to get your concealed carry license. Look, that doesn't rely on supply and demand, right? Except perhaps that the demand for licenses is greater than the supply of uh, uh, employees at the sheriff's office uh, that can process these applications or the, uh, the, the amount of time that these offices are uh, open in order to accept applications. And I think that is uh, driving these numbers, again, driving the growth uh, in, in the number of concealed carry holders down just a little bit. According to the Crime Prevention Research Center, they say it's a 4.4% growth compared to 2019, uh, but it is the slowest percentage and absolute increase that they've seen since they started collecting the data back in 2011. They do note that about 7.5% of all adult Americans possess a concealed carry license. Uh, you exclude the restrictive states like uh, California and New York. That number grows to uh, almost 10% of the population. And I think there are some other restrictive states that you could throw in there as well. Uh, New Jersey, pretty populous state. Very, very few concealed carry licenses there. Um, you get rid of, if you were to look at just the shall issue states, 
not the may issue states. Take take out all of those states that you know require a justifiable need or good cause. Your right of self defense isn't seen as a good enough reason. Your constitutional right to bear arms isn't a good enough reason. You're looking at probably more than ten percent of the population. Uh, in fourteen states, actually, they note that more than ten percent of the population have their uh, a concealed carry license. Since two thousand and nineteen, they note that Arkansas and Oklahoma have dropped below ten percent. Those states are also constitutional carry states. Uh, but South Carolina, their uh, the rate has climbed above 10%. Alabama, 28% of adults with their concealed carry license. Indiana is second with the 18.7%. Iowa is actually third. 15% of the adult population uh, possess a concealed carry license. And there are now five states with more than 1 million concealed carry holders. Yeah, I remember when Florida was the only one. Alabama, Florida, Georgia, Pennsylvania, and Texas. And Florida, by the way, now has more than 2 million concealed carry holders. Mm -hmm. By the way, what's happened to the crime rate in uh, Florida since right to carry became a thing back in the 80s? It's gone down. Hasn't gone up. You know, we're told more guns equal more crime and easy availability. Nope, that's not true in Florida. Homicide rate is actually uh, less than half what it was back when right to carry was implemented in the late 1980s. So uh, the arguments uh, surrounding the the issue of uh, the right to carry, and again, you've got gun control advocates who want to make it as difficult, if not impossible, uh, to get your concealed carry license, it's just not borne out by the facts. Concealed carry holders are, generally speaking, more law-abiding than the general population, as a matter of fact. Uh, and there's absolutely no evidence whatsoever that uh, allowing individuals to exercise their right to both keep and bear arms results in more violent crime. So uh, here to take apart more myths regarding the uh, Second Amendment, uh, as well as a closer look at the right to carry numbers across the country, uh, Dr. John Lott from the Crime Prevention Research Center. Take a look and a listen. John, thanks so much for coming on the show, sir. It's good talking with you today. Good to talk to you again. It's been a long, long time since we talked. It has been absolutely, and there's a lot to uh, uh, probably been years. <laughs> I don't think I don't know. I, I don't know. If it, I well, months I mean, for sure on a radio show or something. <laughs> it's been years. Absolutely. Well, listen. I'm really glad you could uh, join us today. The uh, Crime Prevention Research Center. You all are out with uh, the new right to carry numbers for 2020. And it's interesting. You note that there's been a, a slowdown uh, in the number of, of new concealed carry holders, less than a million, about, what, 840,000 new concealed carry holders since the last time you all uh, did the research? Uh, about 820,000 more than, uh, more than uh, 2019. And and what to to what are you attributing? I mean, again, that's still an increase, uh, but it's a slower rate of increase than we've seen in years past. What do you think is going on to uh, to to lead to these numbers? You know, kind of slowing down the rate of growth, slowing down anyway across the country. Right. Well, uh, I think there are a couple things. One is, uh, you know, despite huge increases in gun sales, you think that there'd be a similar increase in uh, concealed carry permits for similar reasons. Uh, but a lot of states have shut down um, giving out permits. Uh, either the whole states or parts of states. There are a number of states uh, that just haven't been doing the fingerprints if they have it or haven't, uh, you know, because of the COVID uh, virus. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, 
I think that's had that's had a significant effect. Uh, the other thing that's happened, I don't think it's as important, but it's had an impact, and that is uh, you've actually seen a drop in the number of concealed carry permits in uh, the so-called constitutional carry states. Um, and that's something that we've seen before. But now you have you have 16 states that are constitutional carry, the whole state, and of course you've got Montana, where you only need to have a permit uh, within the city limits of uh, the cities there. But, uh, uh, you know, it's just you, when people don't have to have a permit um, to carry within their state, uh, you, you just don't have as many people wanting to go and get a permit. Yeah. And uh, the only reason why you have a permit there is if you're going to be traveling outside and you want less property. I uh, I saw a, a story, probably, I don't know, maybe a month or six weeks ago out of uh, Kansas, noting that the number of uh, new concealed carry licenses had dropped. And, of course, Kansas is a constitutional carry state, and uh, and that may very well be the uh, the reason for that. Um, and in terms of the, you know, the, the permit process shutting down, and you're absolutely right about that. Uh, earlier today, I actually uh, wrote a story talking about what's going on in Allegheny County, Pennsylvania, Pittsburgh area, where... Even if even to apply for a concealed carry license right now, the sheriff's office is taking appointments for March of 2021. That that's simply to fill out the application and to drop it off and to you know start the uh, the process of getting it, uh, you know uh, the background checks and everything. I mean, you know, with those kinds of delays, um, I'm guessing that there 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 is a huge impact, and it's hard to measure because uh, you know so many of these issuing authorities are are local or or county. Uh, police department. So, you know, to try to figure out what's going on in uh, literally thousands of jurisdictions, I mean, that's that's a, a big issue. Well, I mean, you've had whole states like Florida and Michigan and, uh, that just haven't been giving out permits. I mean, uh, obviously, Pennsylvania, uh, it's done by the individual sheriffs that are there. Uh, but you've had lots, lots of states that have done it. It's Basically, the places where Democrats have been in control, that you seem to have, uh, so like the, um, the commissioner that handles, uh, uh, permitting in Florida is now a Democrat. Mm -hmm. Uh, the agricultural commissioner down there is a Democrat, which is new. And, you know, and I think that predicts a lot of whether or not they stop taking permit applications or not. Well, you know, and to that end, you've got a piece of the Wall Street Journal today. Uh, Democrats are coming for your guns, uh, specifically talking about um, the uh, idea from the uh, Biden-Harris administration in, in going after gun manufacturers. But uh, and I want to talk with you about that. But it, it also seems to me that, you know, as you say, a lot of these are, are Democrat controlled places. Um, are you concerned that, uh, that that, you know, if covid cases start to rise uh, as we head into the fall and winter, that we'll see a, a another shutdown, uh, you know, completely of these uh, permitting processes. Well, I mean, you have there are places that still haven't opened up in terms of uh, uh, granting permits, and, and even some of them that have opened up, as you mentioned, uh, in Allegheny County, it's, it's an incredibly slow process that they have there in, in handling applications. Look. Um, I think it's more just they're not opening up. They haven't opened up in a number of these states. And, uh, uh, but sure, if they were to crack down the ones that have opened up, uh, uh, you know, it would be, it would be bad. 
it would delay it. And it's, I'm sure a lot of these states would stop selling guns if they had the power to do so uh, completely. But uh, it's been more difficult for them to go and stop because of the courts. It's been more difficult to stop uh, uh, selling guns than it's been for them to stop issuing concealed handgun permits. Yeah. Yeah. Now, turning our attention to uh, your piece in the Wall Street Journal today talking about uh, gun manufacturers, I mean, you say that uh, the first on uh, Biden's list of gun control uh, agenda items is a proposal to make gun manufacturers civilly liable for the misuse of guns that they sell. You say this means people could sue manufacturers and sellers whenever a crime, accident, or suicide occurs with a gun. And, uh, I mean, as you write, the straightforward result, you say, would be to put gun makers out of business. This is a a, a really serious threat to the future of our Second Amendment rights. Right. No, I mean, uh, the president's right when he talks about the fact that uh, gun ownership is is going to be determined by this election. Um, you know, these suits, these types of suits are a throwback to what we were seeing about 20 years ago. There was a law that was passed in 2005 uh, that, tried, that limited these suits. Um, basically said you could only sue gun makers and sellers if there was a product liability issue or if there was some criminal violation involved with them selling the gun. Um, in a sense, really, to make the sales of guns similar to selling cars or something like that. The reason why you had a lot of these lawsuits focusing on cars, I mean on guns, was to try to create a precedent that I think trial lawyers could then go and use for other types of products. Uh, the gun industry is very small compared to cars, for example. But what I was trying to point out in the Wall Street Journal piece is that, you know, if you allowed these types of suits to go and recover damages, and the thing about these suits is they're only looking at one side of the equation. They're only looking at the harm that's supposedly done by these products and not uh, the benefit. You know, could you imagine if that type of logic applied to cars? I mean, we have 40,000 people who die each year in car accidents. You have another 4.5 million people who are seriously injured enough to require uh, medical attention of some type. Uh, what if all those people were to go and sue car makers or car sellers uh, for lost wages, for medical bills, for pain and suffering that they were facing. Uh, you know, I think most people would understand that that would put, uh, that would put the car industry out of business. Yeah. Uh, and they're obviously a much larger, much more profitable industry than for making guns. Well, and, and, and I think, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, that's all right. I was just going to say, you know, as you point out in your piece, product liability. Um, is still very much a thing, right? If there's a defective product, you can still sue over that. But that's not what we're talking about here. We're not talking about uh, a, a design flaw or something that, uh, you know, allows uh, firearms to, uh, to intentionally misfire. We're talking about uh, suing manufacturers for the criminal misuse of a firearm. Right. I mean, if, if a gun misfires, you're not going to be charged with murder. Okay, you're not going to, that's not a suicide if the gun accidentally fires and kills the owner of the gun. Anything that involves a crime, uh, robbery or whatever, or, or, uh, suicide, 
are cases where there's no, you know, there's not a product liability issue that's involved. And, uh, you know, maybe a few of the accidental deaths might involve that, but it's, I've read enough reports on accidental deaths over the years to realize that even that's extremely tiny. Uh, and, and accidents only account for about 1% of deaths anyway, uh, involving guns. Uh, and so, you know, it's, it'd be the individuals who were shot or their relatives who would be allowed to go and sue for damages. And, um, you know, it's, it's just, I'm sure it's something trial lawyers would love to have happen to create lots of jobs or at least some jobs for them. Uh, at least for some period of time. Uh, of course, as I say, I think it's just to create a precedent. They go after a small, relatively unpopular industry uh, in order to create a legal precedent that they can go and then use against other industries. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we, there was a case out of uh, Pennsylvania, actually, a, uh, an appeals court yeah. uh, recently declared the Protection of Lawful Commerce and Arms Act to be unconstitutional. Uh, and, and they're allowing this case to go forward. It's a, it's a tragic case involving a, a 14 year old who was uh, shot and killed by his friend who, uh, somehow obtained a, a handgun, uh, took the magazine out, didn't apparently realize that, uh, there was a round in the chamber, pointed that gun at his friend, pulled the trigger, uh, and killed his friend. He was convicted of, uh, involuntary manslaughter. Uh, but a, a judge, uh, found, or the, uh, appeals court in Pennsylvania found that, uh, this family's lawsuit against the gun manufacturer as well as the uh, store that sold that firearm in retail, uh, that the trial can at least, you know, proceed and that our attorneys can argue that somehow the manufacturer and the uh, the, the lawful seller of that firearm should be responsible uh, for what actually, for, for what that, you know, that teenager did, which is just, it's just crazy. It's kind to of me. an ironic, that's kind of an ironic case. Uh, the judge basically claims that uh, she doesn't have to recognize federal law. Uh, The bizarre thing is, uh, you know, she actually was able to establish a precedent that was recognized by courts around the country, which I doubt she's going to be successful in the long run. Uh, You'd have a, you know, there are a number of states that have passed laws that say that uh, guns made within the state don't have to follow federal law. And, um, you know, but obviously federal courts aren't recognizing that. Maybe maybe a hundred years ago uh, they would have recognized those types of cases or those types of uh, laws, but uh, not kind of under the new precedent. Of course, this, so I, don't, I, don't, I don't think it's going to last, but you're right. That's the type of case uh, that we would be seeing a, a lot of. Uh, obviously, there's no defect with the gun. The gun functioned as it was supposed to function, as it was designed to function. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, but if somebody's texting on a phone while they're driving, or if uh, somebody doesn't understand the rules of the road and mm-hmm. they get into an accident, uh, should Ford or General Motors have to... Uh, uh, face liability for that. Yeah, I would think the average American would say, no, that's ridiculous, but that's exactly the standard that uh, that they want to apply uh, to the firearms industry. Again, talking with uh, Dr. John Lott from the Crime Prevention Research Center. Uh, crimeresearch.org is the uh, website. And uh, the new book came out in July, Gun Control Myths 
how politicians, the media, and botched studies have twisted the facts on gun control. Uh, that's out now, and uh, I- I'm guessing, John, this would make a fantastic Christmas gift for all the uh, for the gun owners in your life. Well, I hope so. I think it's I think it may be my best book I of the ten that I've written. Uh, I kind of wrote it because of the election, and uh, it goes through 36 different myths. Uh, that I regard that are making a big deal in the debate that's going on right now with guns, everything from things like mass public shootings to, you know, suicide and guns uh, and many topics in between. And, uh, you know, what what researchers believe about gun control and uh, many things. So, uh, you know, it's... There are lots of claims that are made in the media that have a huge impact on the debate that are just not true. You know, uh, mass public shootings, for example. Uh, I think most people don't realize that the United States has far less than the average in terms of mass public shootings per capita. Um, you know, I think few people know that 94% of the mass public shootings that we do have occur in places where guns are banned. Uh, and, you know, I think the whole debate would be dramatically different if even once in a while the media, when it covers a mass public shooting, would mention that we've had yet another attack in places where people weren't allowed to defend themselves. Or if they gave news coverage once in a while to cases where, um, uh, the not successful mass public shootings where people stopped them, uh, with a permanent concealed handgun. I mean, we've literally dozens of cases that we've collected of a whole chapter on that and talking about how the media ignores covering those types of cases. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right about that. And, and again, you're right. If the media would just be, uh, more factual and complete in their reporting, you're right. I think that that would absolutely change the debate, which is probably, uh, why they don't do that. Uh, Dr. John Lott, again, with the Crime Prevention Research Center. I promise we'll be talking uh, again well before a year is out, but it's good to talk with you today, sir. I right, appreciate Dr. Lott joining us on the program here. Now let's turn our attention to today's Armed citizen story, our uh, good deed of the day, as well as our recidivist report. We'll start there with a case out of Chicago, Illinois. Yes, Chicago Tribune reporting on a parolee accused of looting Seven stores in the uh, early hours back in uh, August. And a uh, judge says, wow, put in a lot of work that night. Indeed, he did. Uh, Yes, this uh, individual, by the way, out on parole already for um, gun crimes. His name is Lee Mitchell. Chicago Tribune says uh, from the moment Mitchell hit the Gold Coast during a night of nonstop looting in early August, prosecutors say he was a man on a mission moving quickly and with purpose. With hammer in hand, he smashed through the front window of a luxury Swiss watch retailer, opened the main entrance for uh, others who were waiting outside, scanned the display cases without the door with a store computer monitor. In about four minutes, all the high-end watches, and he takes a big monitor? He may have been a man on a mission. I don't know that he was actually using his uh, thinking cap. Uh, Next, he moved through a uh, high-end clothing store. Two minutes later, after he uh, broke in, he walked out with the clothes in hands. Another ten minutes, he hit a uh, boutique, hit a Walgreens. Uh, Mitchell, they say, he was out on parole for gun and retail theft cases, looted seven stores in all on uh, the early morning hours of August the 10th. He's a 28-year-old father of two. He's a resident of the Inglewood neighborhood of Chicago. Mitchell now faces seven felony counts 
of looting and burglary. He's been uh, ordered held on $150,000 bail as well as house arrest, which uh, I have to say, I'm not too confident that the house arrest is really going to do much. Uh, During a uh, lengthy bond hearing, prosecutors gave a moment-by-moment account of Mitchell's movement uh, on August the 10th, observing that he spent only minutes inside each business and uh, emerged with new items before moving on to the next door. Judge John Like Jr. said, wow, he put in a lot of work that night, allegedly. Indeed, he did. Chicago Tribune notes that dozens of people have been charged in connection with the August looting, which resulted in millions of dollars in uh, damage and lost merchandise. Uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot launching initiatives to prevent looting and to have officers quickly respond to uh, incidents, including deploying more officers downtown. Of course, uh, that happens as homicides in Chicago uh, have already surpassed all of 2019's total. And uh, Lori Lightfoot, the mayor of Chicago, uh, I think has still been unable to uh, or unwilling to get a real grip on the uh, violent crime and even the nonviolent crime uh, that is plaguing the Windy City over the last few months. Moving on to our uh, armed citizen story from South Carolina, Anderson County, where, again, uh, more than 10% of the uh, population there has a concealed carry license. Uh, this didn't come into play because we're talking about a, uh, a home burglary here, but uh, deputies in Anderson County uh, are investigating after a homeowner shot a suspected burglar who was trying to break into a home. It was about 9.30 on uh, last Tuesday morning, I guess. Uh, three people tried to break into a home. Maybe it's actually, no, I guess it was 9.30 this morning. This is some breaking news here. About 9.30 this morning, three people tried to break into a home uh, in Anderson, South Carolina, near Liberty Highway, north of the city of Anderson. Homeowner shot one of the suspected burglars. The other two then ran from the scene. Detectives brought in a canine officer to track down the suspect. So far, uh, no update on the condition of the person who was shot, because, again, this happened just hours ago. We'll try to bring you any updates as they become available. But, uh, again, in the early reporting, it looks like a a pretty clear-cut case of self-defense there in uh, Anderson County, South Carolina. And uh, finally today, our good deed of the day from New Jersey on the uh, New Jersey Turnpike. A uh, accident happened on uh, Monday afternoon. You can see the uh, flames of the uh, semi truck, and the uh, truck driver was actually caught inside the cab and was on fire, according to authorities. A number of good Samaritans, including a physician assistant as well as an off duty corrections officer, uh, jumping to the aid of that truck driver, Daniel O'Burns, a volunteer firefighter with the uh, Wood Ridge. Fire Department. He was headed to work as a, a corrections officer in Avenel when he saw the uh, tractor trailer uh, hit a sign pole and then burst into flames. This was about 1.15 Monday afternoon outside of a Linden, New Jersey. O'Byrne pulled over, jumped out of his car, ran over to help the truck driver, uh, who he said was standing on the uh, running boards of the truck at that point, engulfed in flames. O'Byrne said, uh, the guy looked at me with a stare that said, help me. And he knew that I was coming to help him. He pulled the driver off of his truck, took the shirt off his own back, began patting the truck driver down to put out the flames. The fire actually burned through O'Burn's shirt. So he ended up taking his pants off, too, and uh, used his pants to try to get the fire out. As Byrne was patting down the driver, Jordan Reed, who's an emergency medicine physician assistant with eight years of uh, experience as a uh, EMT, uh, he pulled over, ran over to help. Another driver pulled over, had a fire extinguisher in the trunk of his car. He ran over to help. Uh, Jordan Reed works at uh, the uh, Mullica Hill uh, Medical Center Emergency Department. He used the uh, fire extinguisher to put out the rest of the blaze, got him safely to the side of the road. 
Uh, they then been, uh, began collecting water bottles for passing drivers to try to clean the uh, uh, powder off of the uh, victim, try to cool him down as well. They were able to get him over the guardrail moments before EMTs arrived. He was uh, airlifted to a nearby hospital. Uh, at last report, had serious burns. Uh, not, no word on his condition at this point, but um, hopefully is going to recover there. Uh, and again, in the right place, at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing. Uh, Got to thank uh, Daniel O'Byrne and uh, Jordan Reed and uh, all of the rest of those Good Samaritans who were able to uh, help put that fire out and to uh, save the life of that uh, truck driver there on the New Jersey Turnpike. Now, that is all the time we've got for you on this edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company, but we will be back tomorrow with more of the latest Second Amendment news and information from all across the nation. Thank you for being a part of the program. Also, don't forget... Tomorrow's Wednesday. That means it's time for our weekly VIP Gold Chat with Ed Morrissey from HotAir.com. Julio Rosas from Town Hall is going to join us as well. If you are not a VIP Gold member, you can join a Bearing Arms or Hot Air or Town Hall or any of the uh, Town Hall Media family website family of websites. And I'll, I'll give you a little uh, give you a little bonus if you use the code Loyalty, all caps. You get 25% off your VIP Gold membership that gives you access to these exclusive live chats, commentary, analysis, and more. We certainly do appreciate your support. And we will uh, be talking with you not only on Cam Company tomorrow, but during that live chat as well, 1.30 Eastern on Wednesday afternoon. In the meantime, be well, be safe, be free. And we'll see you soon with another edition of Buried Arms, Cam and Company. I'm just going to let the music play out now at this point. Bye-bye.